Stuff up Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Stuff up Saturday, uplift with love. Stuff up Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Nisa Shomo. Welcome to Self Love Saturday, where loving yourself is an act of rebellion. So I am a family doctor and host of this podcast and also the owner of Health is Love. And I have a special guest here with me today, Mike Shomo. Welcome to the show, Mike Shomo. Glad to be here. Thank you. So you want to tell the people what you do and what kind of how you spend your days? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sort of semi-retired now, but I spend my days uh, dreaming. Uh, trying to put the things together and try to help people uh, realize they dream and talk to uh, and, and mentor people. Uh, I've, I'm involved in uh, a lot of people's uh, lives as far as you know, giving them directions and and I've I've, I've been into uh, uh, the cleaning industry for over 50 years. I I wrote books and I have a training program and uh, uh, teaching. Uh, young people are skilled because I don't care how many robots you build or how many whatever they build, somebody <laughs> has to clean them. So, yeah. you know, cleaning is an honorable profession, and uh, there are there are people that uh, do cleaning that make hundreds of thousands of uh, dollars a year. So, yeah. um, you know, and getting the message out to them uh, about you know uh, just staying to what they sticking to what they they want to be and uh, try to make that dream come true. Right, basically learning a trade. So learning a trade of cleaning. And I know you also are passionate about the trade of baking, owning a bakery. Yes, <laughs> I've been baking since I was eight years old and have some uh, signature recipes that uh, people enjoy. And uh, presently uh, building a bakery, well actually rehabbing a building and I learned those skills in, 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 uh, uh, throughout the years, uh, trial and error. And then I was one of them guys in, in school that really wasn't a college prep guy. So we had to take shop. So I was one of them shop dudes and learned how to you know, put two pieces of wood together and, and, and make something out of it. Yeah. No, they really should bring the trades back into school because it is nice to well, have both. I mean, like you, you should share You should expose people to different things. So, yeah, so I will tell everybody that you are, you know, you're my dad. This is my dad. So I already know, I know everything that you do, but I, I want the people to know one of the biggest things um, that you taught me was just how to dream. So I do a lot of the same things that you do. I've written a book and uh, I pour into young people every day and talk to them about their dreams. I do a lot of mentoring. Um, and I learned a lot of that those things from you and really for me like part of dreaming especially dreaming is coping is just trying to make your community better and trying to imagine like have an imagination of how things could be different because you know you're always going to have problems in the world but if you can dream about solutions and imagine different solutions to different problems then that's how you make the communities better you know well i think uh, uh i think the problem today is reward you see a lot of people want it right now they want the rewards right they, they can't you know they can't even envision they want to dream but they only want to dream to last for a minute or two you know and then the, uh the second thing that's that's kind of uh detrimental to the dream or what we call dream busters are uh, the support because uh, if you come up with an idea you want to do something you know, more people will say, oh, you know, you, you can't do that. Oh, you know, they, they want to discourage you as, you know, and that's cultural differences. I was talking to a friend of mine where well, this has been some years ago and uh, uh, he wanted to uh, open up a, a, a shop and the shop was to make these little widgets for uh, uh, for the cars and stuff. And he went to his uh, uncle and, and borrowed $100,000 to get his shop going. And I'm saying, you know, with the with the wealth, and they talk about reparations. See, this is this is one of the things in reparations that uh, a lot of people don't understand is is that it's the wealth. Had we those inventions that our our people have invented that uh, you know the Europeans had taken from them and claimed them for themselves or not let them use, 
that wealth could have helped other people get higher. So the, the you know, the economics and, and uh, you know, you figure, well, you can go get a loan. The only way you can get a loan from the bank is prove you don't need it. <laughs> right. And that's the thing. I know a lot of people have dreams and that, you know, obviously the politics can limit how you make those dreams reality. But I think that one of the things that I learned growing up is you try to figure out a way and you try to build community, you try to network. Um, so that's one of the biggest things for us as black people. That's what we've been, that's what we've been doing to survive forever is trying to build our networks right. and trying to use that as a way to make up for the fact that we don't generally have somebody we can ask for a hundred thousand dollars, but you might be able to ask, you know, 20 people for a thousand dollars and see if you can get it going that way. So that's kind of like, you know, trying to, what we do as Black people is make a way out of no way. And I think that it's really important for young people to have parents like that. Like, I really, you know, I know that's one of the reasons why I'm successful is I have two parents who both figured out how to make a way out of no way. And despite, you know, the, the you know, being descendants of slaves and despite, you know, all the racism that, you know, generations have been enduring forever. And despite the lack of money, um, just trying to figure out how to come together and support each other. And I think that's kind of the problem now. I mean, there's two big problems now. Like one of the issues is that people spend a lot of time hating on people instead of actually supporting them, like you said. And so, and the other part is like, there's a lot of scammy type of people. So nowadays, like if somebody came and said, hey, can I, I'm going to ask 20 people for a thousand dollars. You really have to learn uh, who's trustworthy and who's not, because everything is like smoke and mirrors nowadays. Like, everything is smoke and mirrors. And so I think it makes it a lot harder for people to trust people. And the other thing, I mean, I just, I just feel like people just spend way too much time just hating on each other instead of coming together is also. Well, you know, and, and there's so many, there's so many uh, uh, obstacles into getting loans and, and getting people to support you. It's like, I went to the bank a year ago uh, and I said, well, I need $75,000 to, no, $50,000 to finish the work I need to have done, $50,000. So they looked at my books, they looked at everything, and they said, okay, yeah, you have business, you have customers, they said, but your profit, your profit is, is, is so low. And I'm saying like, you hold that against me because see, I don't have the money to finish this up and to, to complete this. And I'm taking every dime that I make to put back into the business. Right. And you hold that against you because I say, well, okay, if you're making the you're making two hundred some thousand dollars a year, two eighty, two hundred eighty thousand dollars a year, and you only you don't you know you only uh netting, you know, uh uh sixteen thousand dollars out of that, your profit left. I said, but you see all the construction I've done. Right. You know, I've done 34, I've done uh I've done a hundred thousand dollars worth of repairs. I said, but if I had, you know, fifty thousand dollars and get it all down the way, and I could take that money that I'm making and I can break off a piece of that, you know, to pay to pay my bills back. Right. You yeah, and that's and that becomes, yeah. And because that's the same thing we're having right now. We're trying to get a loan to buy some land and we have plenty of money to to do it and they won't and we're having a hard time finding a loan but i think that like i said that's the that's the that's what that's what we've been dealing with for a long time you know it's not anything new and obviously we dream for a different time but in the meantime we make things happen so like our family everybody's you know given a couple few thousand dollars to help with little by little with okay well you need you know two thousand dollars for a floor or you need three thousand dollars to build these walls so that's the biggest thing for me like i know that obviously when we're dealing with racist institutions and systems you know we can feel frustrated when we're when they're trying to kill our dreams in a systemic way um but i think you know like i said there are people who will invest in your dreams and you have to find those people right. and i think the biggest thing of getting people to invest in your dreams is being a trustworthy per person you know for like you said you've been you've been dedicated to teaching people how to clean for 50 years you've been working in a bakery you know for i don't even know how long has it been like 30 years you've been we've been uh in this bakery business uh, so 
before you was born. <laughs> right. Right. So probably like 40 years since I'm almost 40. Right. But so it's just one of those things of like, I think that's what a lot of young people really have to understand nowadays and people just in general. Like, you know, obviously it's one thing to hit a head block with uh, business, with the banking, but for people around you, your network to really see you as a potential person they can invest in, you have to be a trustworthy person who's dedicated and passionate about like two things, you know, <laughs> because I mean, obviously, you know, everybody has interests and does things all over the place. But my interests have always been very consistent with, I, you know, I dreamed of becoming a physician and I've always wanted to be uh, like, I've always wanted my, my dream in my career in academia is to be a dean someday. And so I've worked toward that dream since I was in my 20s, you know, and I've been very consistent and I've told everybody in my department, this is what I want to do. And when jobs have come up, they say, hey, you should apply for this job. So, and so it's just one, and then, you know, of course, being a business owner, I'm sure that people have been like, hey, there's this loan, like, you know, people if people can't financially support you, they at least try to point you in a direction of like, hey, you need to go meet with these people. Um, for me right now, like that's my biggest problem with my my um, small business outside of my career and academia is I don't have a lot of time to network and meet a lot of people in business to find investors and to find, um, you know, just, a, just more support for my business. I don't have, like I'm trying to work on right now, I'm trying to work on, marketing and advertising I know that's a big thing that's one of the biggest things that like I know you have a degree in marketing um because you didn't say that part that you graduated from <laughs> Kent State University Golden Flash <laughs> I know that for you as a business owner that's probably been a really important part of you know being able to figure out how to formulate a business plan because honestly you think you should make a career out of that dad like the next you know few years you should really teach people about like creating business plans and creating marketing plans and all that sort of thing and that's why I've worked with Morgan. Like that's how Morgan and I actually became friends was, uh, you know, that's what she does. She does, um, she teaches you how to like market to, if you are interested in advertising to black women, that sort of thing. She teaches you like how to, how to curate your business um, to be appealing. Demographics and segments, you know. Exactly. And so like, you know, and then also, you know, you watch people, like I've seen her market. I've seen who she partners with, all that sort of thing. And so you watch people and you invest time, you invest time in learning, like, you know, like we talked last weekend Dad, about how in life, you know, there's people who are winners and right. you try to watch those winners. You're like, okay, Morgan, Morgan A. Owens is a winner. Love her. Never going to hate on her. That's my boo. And let me watch her. Let me see what she's doing. Let me see who she's meeting. Let me see how she's making things happen. And I think, you know, that's part of the dream. Well, is let, let, me, let me explain this too. So, uh, and of course, you know, I came, I came up in a, in a different era, you know, where people help you. So you had to, uh, you know, I, I have had conversations with uh, Carl B. Stokes, Louis Stokes, Stephanie Tubbs Jones, Marsha Fudge. You know, you talk to these people and these people are all positive people that want you to do things. But you got haters out there. Right. I knew people that say, hey, I don't want to do, I don't want to do business with you. I don't want to. I don't want because of your relationship with uh, uh, Stephanie. And I'm saying like, with my relationship, that's, that should be a good thing for you. Yeah, but right. she won't talk to me. Well, if she won't talk to me, let me go, let me go talk to her and see why she won't talk to you, you know? And I'll go and talk to her. And this was an incident. I went and talked to uh, to Stephanie and I said, um, uh, I said, well, this, you know, so-and-so said that we won't talk to her. And she told me why. <laughs> he said, he's about to get indicted. Right. <laughs> I was <just> like, <laughs> okay. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's a lot of, it's a lot of scammy people out there. And so, yeah. you know, and you, and you listen to, and that's part of like the networking is learning who, who are the scammy people out there? Because usually the scammy people are also haters. So usually they're going to kind of reveal themselves. Right. Yeah. But the other piece is asking people like, you know, Hey, do you know this person? You know, what are your experiences with that person? So that's all part of networking. Um, and I think part of, you know, so I've interviewed a lot of my friends here and we all really love and support each other and we want to see each other win. Like that's been one of, that was like a, you know, a theme a couple of weeks ago of like having that kind of winner circle of people who support you and encourage you um, and who want to see you win and give you advice. Like you really need that group of people. And I think that a lot of people who don't have it, you kind of have to look at yourself of like, am I a hater? 
<laughs> am I supportive other, of other people? You know what I mean? Because if you have a circle full of haters, at some point, you got to realize that it's, that it's you, you know, <laughs> and, and work on it and work on it. Because like, there's plenty of people who don't have any dreams, don't have any goals, or their goals are based on other people. And it's like, you got to get your own goals and you got to mind your business and work on those goals. And instead of hating on everybody and having a circle of haters, you could have a circle of winners who could show you how to win and how to learn the ropes and how to meet the right people and all that sort of thing. And I just feel like so many pe- people spend so much time in this scammy world and in this hater world. And it's, it's just, a, to me, it's a waste of time. Well, you know, exactly. You know, and that, that goes back to... Uh what I was saying about dreaming and um, is it a dream or is it a fleeting thought? You know, it's like a dream is something you want to carry out. You know, you want to put all the pieces together to carry that dream out. You say, oh, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do this. It's a fleeting thought. Well, hey, I got something else next week I'm going to be thinking about. Ah, you know, you never, you never. But if you're one of those people, people know those like, okay, here come Mike Shomo again with, a, with another idea, you know, and you know, it gets, right. it gets to it. So therefore, you know, if if you uh, if you stay the course and and there's all kind of help. There's people that that when uh, years ago when I was in uh, I was, uh, working with some people and I was doing some carpet cleaning for the people and um, a guy, Mr. Missouri over in uh, he had a cleaners over in uh, Canton, and he would call me and say, how you doing, Mike? I said, I'm doing okay. So well, what you doing? I said, well, I'm just sitting in the office. He said, oh, that's bad. <laughs> said, Why are you sitting in the office? Where's your secretary at? And she over there. Oh, you should be out, you know, drumming up business. <laughs> you know, you know, you don't come in the office until it's the end of the day, and you done passed out all your literature and get what you done. And when I did that, you know, I found out that it worked. And there, right. there are people that will help you, you know, uh, white, black, brown, you know, you just got to find those people. And just because they say, no, they don't have time or this, that, and the other, that should not, uh, that, that should not discourage you. Right. Because I had a young man who worked with me in my business a couple years ago. He, he was in college, so he's graduated now. Um, and I had interviewed quite a few. I was looking like for an intern when I first started Dr. Shomonos. I was looking for an intern. And the uh-huh. one student who I chose was the one who was the most consistent and persistent. Like, hey, Dr. Shomo, I know that you got a lot going on, but I just wanted to reach back out and see, you know, so it's it's important to it's important to use your resources. So like for a lot of people who are trying to break into a lot of industries, their biggest resource may be time. Like you have the time to follow up with people. For me right now. Time is, you know, not my biggest resource. My biggest resource at this point is money. So I usually delegate a lot of things to other people who have time to to help with different tasks. Um, so it's just one of those things of, of using your resources, whether that's time, whether that's money effectively, because people waste all types of money on all types of stuff that's not really going toward their dream. And you, and you want to have some balance. Like, you know, you want to cope with... Um, going on you know you want to travel a little bit you want to eat some nice meals sometimes but you have to have a balance you if you spend all of your money on all of that stuff and you're trying to build a business you know it's not consistent and I think that's the biggest thing for me like I feel like so many people are just they say things but they're not consistent they don't follow through they don't invest you know their resources in a way that can be helpful to them um, and it's and it's not bad to like have a lot of have a lot of uh, ideas and a lot of different things you're trying to work on. Um, but I, and I think that's like one of the biggest things right now, one of the, one of the big industries right now is coaching. There's all these people who do like life coaching and just different coaching and they try to help you focus um, on one area. So that's, you know, how I met Morgan. Like she helped me, she helped coach me through some of my ideas. Um, and, you know, you, you have a lot of ideas, but you, you try to like table them for like, okay, I need to focus on this right now. I need to focus on that right now. Who can I get to help me with that? Who can I pay? Because I think that's the other piece too. Like sometimes you need to pay to, like I, I have a course called 14 Day Coping Skills. I really am a firm believer in courses and learning about the subject matter. Like that's also why I have Dr. Shomo knows as a business because I really believe in wisdom and knowledge. And so, you know, you have to, if you're a person who values that, you have to invest your time and your money into learning about whatever industry, learning about what makes you what can make you successful in those industries. 
Um, and just learning about yourself, learning what makes you different, what makes you unique, and learning from your circle. Um, but I think, I think the biggest thing right now is that people, you know, they instead of spending their time in that way, um, they spend too much time talking themselves. Well, you know, people have a lot of negative self-talk too. They they spend a lot of times, I feel like, talking themselves out of things. Yeah, yeah, I, I know how that go, you know. Uh... And a lot of a lot of the things is uh, you know some self uh, self loathing and and uh, you know and and selling themselves short on stuff because you know they figure they can't do it or you know but you know with, with, with the old saying you know uh, you know you, you got to try you right. have to do you know you just try and then if you have truly tried and say you haven't completed and if you sit down and say well. How come this didn't work? And if you actually tear it apart and say, "What, uh, what I didn't do? What you know?" And, and talk, talk about yourself. You know, what was it that I did not do to make this successful? <clears throat> not what you know. Well, my cousin didn't do this. They didn't do that. What you know? You know, you always say, "Hey, it's 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 not uh it's not what you uh expect; it's what you inspect." You know, so you inspect the things and say, "Well, okay, then, I didn't do this, I didn't do this," and then I can take a branch off that off that trail, you know, make it a fork in the road, and go and go the other way, right? Because I brought it right from here to here to where the fork of the road is. I just took the wrong road over here. But here I can back up and I can go down the right road. Right. And that's part of like reflection. Like a lot of people, I do really well with reflection. And that's, I mean, that's what my first book is about is just kind of reflection, reflecting on your coping skills and how to, how to change them in some way where you can um, be healthier. Cause a lot of people have a lot of unhealthy and destructive coping skills. Um, but I think that that's why coaching is really big because some people don't have, you know, as well as good of a, a ability to reflect. And so that's why they may pay somebody to coach them of like, and that's, and that's honestly like, you know, in sports, that's, that's the whole point of coaches. Like your coach will say, Hey, you might not want to do this. You might want to try that. Or, um, you know, they, then they can give you specific advice for like, you know, whatever your position is, if you look at, so, you know, right now it's football season. So they have different coaches for different positions. They have, you know, the special teams, they have offensive line, they have, you know, all these different coaches who are specialized in those different areas. But the biggest thing is you have to listen. And I find that's one of the hardest things, like being somebody who mentors a lot, is that it's, especially nowadays, it seems like people just do not want to listen to the advice of their mentors. And I don't know what that's about that. <laughs> some of them, some of them pay and then they give them the advice. They didn't pay for this advice and then they don't want to use it. Right. <laughs> you know? And then they come back and say, well, okay, then, <laughs> you know, but you know, right. I've been through that. You know? And I think, and I think everybody has, because you don't always understand, but I think that what's hard for a lot of people is you should be able to have some reflection and say, man, I should have listened to X, Y, Z. I think a lot of people will get advice from mentors, um, not listen to it and then have no actual insight and awareness to the fact that they didn't even listen to what their mentors told them if they would have if they could have even halfway done xyz um then they then they would have been better off but they you know a lot of people just bang their head against the wall over and over again and it's like part you're part of, like you know part of whatever dream you have is you have to be teachable you have to listen and you have to reassess and you and be, to be able to re-reflect and reassess and regroup and move forward you have to take accountability. And I think there's so many people nowadays who really have a hard time taking accountability of their part and whatever their, that's, you know. That's, what, that's, the, that's the important part of, you know, that's what I was saying about, you have to look at yourself and say, you know, what did I do? What could I have done better? You know, so therefore, can I do this? Or do I have to abandon this and do something else? Right. I, I, I have people that, uh, in my own family, uh, my siblings, you know, to come to me and say, okay, and, and, and one of my siblings, and I always ask him, I said, why do you ask me for advice that you're not going to use anyway? Right. <laughs> you know, 
Why don't you just figure it out and I just say, yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's kind of the way you have to be. You get it gets to the point where you just, you know, don't say much because it's a waste, it's a waste of your time. But the thing for me is I get paid. I mean, I'm basically a health coach, is what I am as a family doctor. Dragon, you get paid? I get paid hundreds of dollars to advise people on their health. And often people don't listen, and that's fine. I get paid either way. People, you know, people are in different stages of where they are with accepting advice, but I think that you know, the sooner that people can get to that accountability place and even just understanding, like I tell people all the time, I'll try to be like <laughs> my patients, I'll be like, okay, well, I'll, you know, you should try this. You should try that. And they'd be like, I don't really want to do that. And I just, I literally, it's kind of like, for me, it's like reverse psychology of dealing with like defiance. And I, cause I'll just be like, I'm just trying to help you live. Like, right. I'm just giving you the information. I'm trying to help you live. This and is you your want, life though. This you is your life. <laughs> I was, uh, I was uh, when I was at University Hospital, I had a, a, a mentor that asked me to help this guy. His cleaning business was failing. At that time, it was all the great drug stores. He had all the great drug stores, buffing out the floors two, three times a week and all that. So I put together a training program for him because he couldn't keep employees. And so I said, well, you know, if you got them, uh, you know, just working all crazy and they don't know what to do and you're trying to show them. So I put in a, a training program for them and they, they got it. So they were just coming to to train. Uh, so when, uh, I never will forget, it was on a Friday and it was payday. And um, he gave me my check and he said, um, he said, is all your money there? I said, yeah. Because the, the, the day before, his main crew had called off because they wanted to, it was on Thursday. They wanted to see Luther Vandross. They wanted to see, show you how old the low. They, <laughs> yeah. they told the other people, say, look, we're not coming. Y'all be unavailable. Okay. So it was a thing. So I said, well, so when I when I came in a little later, he told me he had sent the, the trainees home. I said, well, why did you send them home? And he says, well, I, I, my wife said that I don't need to uh, have people coming up here and working. They're not doing no work. They're just training. So yeah, they're just training to do the job correctly. That's all they're doing. So make a long story short. Uh, when they called off, he had sent them home. We sitting up there looking at each other. So he said, uh, next time something like this happens, I'm not calling nobody. It's for the job. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. And as he's talking to me, all, you know, ignorant and stuff, I'm peeling the key off the key ring, just peeling it off, peeling off the key ring. So I asked him, is he finished? And he said, yeah. I said, here's your key, man. I don't need this. I said, because see, that was a mistake that you made. You don't need my help because you figure, well, you know, uh, this your business and I can't tell you how to run your business. You're absolutely right. You know, but you brought me in here. I said, paraded me around to the drugstore uh, vice presidents and presidents to say that I'm going to straighten everything out that you had messed up and I've straightened everything out. And so, so now you don't need me no more. That's all right. Yeah, my check is right. Have a great day. Right. The business, the business folded in about like three months. Right. That's the biggest thing, you know, and that's the biggest issue I see. A lot of people don't take responsibility. And I mean, like I said, you know, with my patients, it's their body. I, I always I often talk about how people grieve. People are often in denial. So, it's you know, I don't fire patients for not listening to me, even though some doctors do. Some doctors will fire you. If you're yeah. not going to listen to their advice, they say, well, what's the point of you being, a, you know, part of my patient panel if you're not going to listen to my advice? And that's, you know, the whole thing we've been dealing with COVID. A lot of people, a lot of doctors feel frustrated because they're experts in health and people don't want to listen to their health expertise and they could be doing better things with their time. But for me, you know, I try to use more of a trauma and care, you know, and trauma informed care approach where I understand that people are at different places of acceptance of the fact that their bodies are having problems. So I try not to be that way. And I try to be that way, even with, you know, all types of situations dealing with um, giving advice to my mentees or family members or anything, just understanding that not everybody's at the place where they're ready, ready to receive that advice. And it's not everybody needs to hear it from you because that's the biggest thing. Sometimes people just don't respect, you know, and that's the thing. It's hard, especially like with your children, because they don't know all the stuff that you've been through. You know, right. they don't know why you know that. They don't know, 
I know that's a big thing for parenting. There's a lot of a lot of parents um, are telling their children different things. See, that was and, in the COVID thing. Like, what's in this? Right. What's, what's in this? You know, like, and, and, and you know, a good friend of mine, Viral, he uh, he got leukemia, and he just found it. He found out, you know, a few months ago. But he didn't ask them when they were talking about putting him on chemo and chemo. He right. didn't ask them what was in the chemo. <laughs> yeah. Now, this whole COVID situation has been very interesting to just see like how people are just so weird about what they want to take advice about and what they don't want to take advice about. And so that's been that's the whole ex human experiment that's, you know, quite fascinating to me. But my job as a family doctor is I try to figure out what I can say to people to kind of get them out of that. I call it like a delusional bubble. What can I say to people to get them out of that little delusional bubble and, you know, maybe poke at it? I may not be able to burst that burst it, but I might try to poke at it. And that's the thing, like, it's hard when you're talking about dreaming. Sometimes people can have wishful thinking or, um, you know, be be a little bit grand. I don't know, like the term in psychiatry would be like grandiose in their thinking. But that's what I think is so fascinating to me about the story of our family is that, like, there's so many things that we've done as a family that most people would have never really dreamed about. And then most people would have been dream killers about like, that's one of the things I really appreciate so much about my, you know, our family is when I said I wanted to become a physician, even though we didn't have any physicians in our family, nobody was ever like, no, you can't do that. Because I've heard from so many young people who want to be doctors, they don't have a confidence because their family didn't believe in them. Oh, that's going to be too much money. Oh, I don't know if you can make it. Like, I mean, there was, I won't say I had any family members from who I grew up with who said that. Um, but, you know, I have I have maybe once or twice heard people say whatever, but in my immediate family, like nobody ever was like, no, you should be a nurse or, oh, I don't know, that might be too hard or, oh, no, that sounds expensive. And I know that that's one of the biggest things, like when you are having, it's important to try to do your best. It's, it's one thing, like, because <laughs> uh, I'm a realist. So there may be times when even people have said stuff to me and I'm just, and I just was like, oh, well, have you heard? I watch the news a lot and I'm stay active with current events and then be like, oh, well, have you heard about X, Y, Z? And somebody might think you're being a hater in that way. And it's like, no, I just like to make sure that people are informed. Like that's just part of my values. So, but I think that there's so many things in our family that people have done that like people may have said, oh, that's a little, that was a little grandiose. Like, so for me, like growing up and working hard, I feel like that's the biggest thing I learned from our family was just how to work hard. And if you can work hard and invest that time and energy, you can do anything. And that's, that's, you know, how most people are, whether you have money or not, like if you can invest your resources well and put the work in, then you can make your dreams happen. But like, I remember one of the reasons why I want to do this episode with you was because I remember um, this conversation that we had two years ago. And I was asking you, because one of the biggest, the most crazy thing in my life that um, helped expand this dream that I had to become a physician was going to Shaker. And my best friend when I was at Shaker, when I went to Woodbury, was Ashley. And Ashley's father was, a, you know, was a doctor. And so I grew up in a, in a Black doctor's house. Like, I was literally, like, their other daughter for those couple of years when I was at Woodbury. Um, and so for me you know, having that kind of exposure to, you know, seeing that dream be possible and also to being able to be at a school where people were very encouraging because I love the teachers at Shaker. They were some of the best teachers I ever experienced in my whole life. And so I know that that moment was just like such a lucky moment. I had such a privilege to be there. And I remember asking you like, like two years ago, like dad, like how did grandma buy the house? she was a single mom of three children and I never I've never even thought about that like how did how did it happen and you and you told me the answer what was the answer that <laughs> well she got together well she hit the number <laughs> she hit the number right and I'm like I'm literally like part, one of the biggest reasons why I'm a doctor today is because my grandmother won the lottery you know like there is a lot of luck in that but she spent she spent her money well. She's she she won a lottery and she said, I'm gonna buy a house in Shaker and I'm gonna buy a two-family house and they're gonna help me pay this mortgage, you know. And obviously the policies of Shaker Heights being integrated before a lot of 
other suburbs and having black people be a part of that experience was something that you that you went through. Well, another thing is too, is that uh, I know you were you were young and you know you may not remember, but uh, we had a family doctor. I had the same doctor that you had, you know, yep. Doctor Doctor Richard Weinberg. He saw us all. He saw yes. everybody everybody in the family. And uh, when you were three years old, you, you know, uh, I remember you sitting in the back seat, all strapped up and everything. <laughs> you said, uh, hey, Dad, how much did Dr. Weinberger make? I said, well, he'd probably make about three, four $400,000 a year. Didn't even know if you could even, you know, uh, conceptualize what three or three, $400,000. <laughs> but, you know, you sat there, you looked and you said, I want to be a doctor. And yeah. if you remember from the day that you said that, a lot of times you'd be walking around the house or we'd be driving and I would ask, what would I ask you? Hey doc, what's the prognosis? <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's what I'm saying. Like to just have like literally so much encouragement from, from such a young age. And then, like I said, to be able to build on generations of just people working hard and doing handling business. You know what I mean? So like my grandma handled business. She won a lottery. She handled business. She bought a house in Shaker Heights. She raised y'all up in Shaker Heights in high school. And, you know, everybody went to college, got careers. Um, and then, you know, we were able to, you you and my aunties were able to take it to the next level with your children of just, you know, whatever our dreams were. And I, I think that for me, that's, you know, what helped me go after my dreams was seeing you all go after your dreams, which you saw your mom go after her dreams, you know, being a seamstress, being a business owner. And so that's the thing for me, like I come from, this is, I'm a third generation business owner, homeowner, you know? Actually fourth, my grandfather had his own business too. Oh, four. So yeah. So four generations yeah. of yeah, you put in, business ownership, home ownership. He put, put in driveways. He was a bricklayer during the week for the company he worked for. And he put in driveways on the weekends. Right. At his own business. Right. And everybody in the trades, you know, like uh, just a, a family full of people with, you know, whether it's baking, bricklaying, sewing clothes, um, IT, you know, we just have a lot of people in our family who have are hard workers. And that's what I really and just and just whatever it is, no matter what it is, you're going to give it your all and you're going to be the best bricklayer or seamstress or whatever that you can be. And that's what I really remember from just, you know, one of the things that helped me get to where I am. And I saw my sisters do it. Like my sisters were, you know, growing up as a, when I was a teenager, my sisters were in their twenties. So I saw them go after their dreams and, and hustle and, and work hard every day. Um, I've done a podcast with Bina Zelina um, and her about her bakery and everything. And just her journey uh, of not giving up on her dreams, even though she went to prison. Um, so it's just, you know, I really, that's one of my favorite parts about being a part of this family is just seeing, just having that privilege. Cause a lot of people don't, there's so many people who never saw anybody in their family go after a dream, let alone to be four generations of business ownership. Well, you know, it's like, you know, uh, as you were coming on and there were people like, you know, you are, uh, the Honorable Stephanie Charles Jones, goddaughter. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that, you know, I know she's passed away and stuff, but uh, you have gotten uh, scholarships that she knew about, you know, that, that, that she told you to, you know, to apply for, and you got. Uh, one of your other mentors that I had, that I was real cool with uh, at University Hospital, was Dr. Edgar Jackson. Remember, yeah. Dr. Jackson tried to bring you there, but you yeah. know, but nevertheless, that was a relationship. And those are the are the things when, when, uh, um, when your children, and you know, want to be something, take them around the people that's doing that. Right. Know? Let them know what's going on. You know, because uh, that influence uh, is is really phenomenal. Like I told you. I, you know, when you were in school and you hadn't even gone to college yet, I said, well, just remember, when you become a doctor, I want you to bring other African-American kids up for them to be doctors also. I want you to mentor them. And you kept that promise. And I, yeah. I, I appreciate that, that you kept that so that we need 
we need qualified doctors uh, in our families. And I'm talking about our community. Right. And that's the, and that's what I'm saying. Like I, I've talked on this podcast a lot about it's important to speak life into people, right? So on the one side, you have people who are who are haters who are going to try to speak dream killing, but you're going to have people who are going to support your dreams and speak life into those dreams and right. show you the ropes of how to get there. And so that's the thing for me. I always encourage people to find those people. You know, if you don't have those people in your family, you can find them. But I know that's for me. Like, that's why I was a doctor at 26 years old. At 26 years old, I was done with medical school because I had a family full of people who were, I don't even know what to say, dream extenders instead of being dream killers, dream extenders, people who helped me bridge those gaps to get to where I was. And that's, you know, the beauty of having people in your family who are business owners who know about, you know, making a way out of no way, know about networking and hard work and all that sort of stuff. And I'm just so happy that I learned a lot of those values in my family. And if, and if you don't have people in your family like that, then go find the, go find, go find that network. You said, it's like, how is this your brother? How is this your sister? You know, you know, because you, you know, y'all related by circumstance. (laughs) Yeah. But there's a whole nother thing called circumstance. Right. For this person to be close to me. So I made this person, my brother or my sister, Exactly. Because I need them, they need me. So right. And that's what I always say about Morgan. I always say, that's my sis. Like, because we actually look alike too. She looked like she could be part of our family. So people be like, that's your sister. And she'd be like, yep. You know, <laughs> we'd be like, yep. Because <laughs> that's the thing. When you find people who are like minded, then, you know, they become, you, you develop those bonds that are actually can be stronger than your family bonds. Mm-hmm. Because we have a huge family. So, of course, you know, there's, there's some dream extenders, there's some dream killers. Um, but you go, you go, you try to focus on the dream extenders. And I know that for me, like, you know, I don't remember asking how much Dr. Weinberger um, made at a young age. And that's not, that's not what motivates me to be a physician, because obviously there's plenty of physicians who make double and triple what I make as an academic doctor. But because um, he was a doctor and he was personal with you and you liked him, you know, that's right. when I first met him, because we was his first family. He had left UH. And, in and residency, we, y'all met him. We met him in residency. You figure, you figure like this. He come into practice with with, with a family of ten, right? <laughs> that's teaching all over the world, right? And but that's one of the biggest things is you, your family can teach you values, but you can also find community that has the same values. And that's one of the things in my in our family that helped me become a physician as well was because we have we have a big focus on health in our family. Like to have such a huge family, but we got all of our shots when we were young. Like it's, it's people who have two kids who don't, you know, who are not on time with their vaccinations, but we were always there for our physicals every year. Um, we were always getting our vaccines up to date with our, with our family doctor. Um, and Dr. Weinberger, definitely the community he built with his patients. Um, Cause I saw, I started seeing Dr. Vizzy more when I was in high school, but it was just always a really comforting, welcoming place. And I'm just happy to grip in a family that, prioritize health um and that's part of like why i'm the way i am as far as our family values of going to the doctor and keeping on even when there's nothing wrong because there's so many people who are afraid of going to the doctor there's so many people who only go when there's something wrong but that wasn't our our health culture in our family like and i'm really grateful for that because i'm a cancer survivor you know what i mean i'm really grateful for the fact that part of being dream extenders in our family is just like you know you have to focus on your health because that can be a that can be a dream killer right there if you don't take care of your health. Well, I don't know if you remember, but when we went to the doctor, it was always two, three, four of y'all with me. And we all had appointments. And I had the notebook with all your shot records, all your social security numbers, and everything. And they would say, wow, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's, the, that's the way we roll, you know? Right. Uh, uh, one of your sisters uh, was going to the doctor, and she had, uh, she had a notebook with all her children's shot records, everything. <laughs> and I would just right. say, good habits were it all, you know? No, yeah, I still have my shot records from Dr. Weinberger's office too, from when I started medical school. Cause that's the other thing that's interesting about people, they don't know about medicine. When we talk about this COVID and the vaccine, you can't, you can't be a doctor if you don't have your shots. Like that yeah. doesn't make sense. So in order for us all to become physicians, we all have to prove that we got 
all of our shots. And so I was happy that we did have that kind of relationship because Robert was raised, my husband, um, he was raised in the army. And so they moved around a lot. So he always, he sometimes have a hard time like finding his shot records and that sort of thing. But I mean, you know, just so many pieces of that dream that I have now are based in just how we were raised. And I really appreciate that. So thank you for all of those things that of, you know, just instilling in me hard work, making health an important part of our life, um, going after your dreams and not limiting yourself and, you know, figuring out how to make a way out of no way, just really a lot of great foundation. But the one thing that I want to talk about before we leave is just about, you know, so I talked about in 2020, we were having this conversation about, you know, like I just, you know, it hit me when all the George Floyd protests were going on, like, how did I even get here? Like, this country has got a lot of problems. And how did I even get here? You know? And so that was, you know, talk, thinking about just the lineage that we have of, you know, coming from hardworking business owners who, who try to make a way out of no way and try to stay out of trouble and try to invest well and all that sort of thing. And, you know, and try to, try to navigate the criminal justice system as we need to. Um, so, so I understood that part. But when all the riots were happening, um, we were. this was the same conversation that we had. When all the riots were happening, um, I remember just feeling like people are very frustrated. And I know that change often comes from people's frustration and speaking out um, and just wanting more. You know, like, obviously, I would love for more people to have access to the dream. And like, like I said, a lot of people, they weren't exposed to the things that I was exposed to being a fourth you know, four generations of people in the trades and, and business owners. So I would love for that dream to, for more people to have access to that dream. And that's why I mentor. And that's why I'm a part of uh, teaching even for less money than a lot of other people, because it's really important to me for the dream to be accessible. So one of the things that came up in that conversation though, was I know that you, when you were a teenager, the Huff riots broke out in Cleveland. And I asked you, you know, like, what, what have I gotten to grow up with there's part been, you know, just from a structural um, piece as people are advocating for police reform and all this sort of thing during the George Floyd protest, I was asking like, what kind of reforms did you all ask for during those riots um, as a way of coping? Like, you know, obviously it's a terrible thing, but generally change comes out of terrible things. Like you think about, you know, even Martin Luther King and people being, having dogs sicked on them in Selma and Birmingham marches and all the beatings that people had to endure. As a, as a part of those protests and, and demonstrations as well. Um, so what did you tell me, Dad? What, what, what good things came out of the Huff riots in Cleveland? The Huff riots, you see, uh, we, we needed uh, better housing and uh, we didn't have uh, playgrounds and we would actually have uh, open fields with broken glass and everything that we played in every day. Uh, the stores were selling us rotten meat uh, the stores, so that's when they started, you know, burning out the stores, and, and uh, even with Operation Breadbasket that I worked with uh, Jesse Jackson and you know quite a few people from Shaker uh, when we were in high school to boycott those stores, stores because the practice of the store was is that you go out to the Heights and they brought all of the good food, the good meat out there. That meat didn't sell. They give them fresh meat and bring the old meat to the black neighborhood. So we stopped a lot of the uh, stores, Pick and Pay, Kroger's, uh, A&P, those stores were involved in that practice with black people and we just got fed up with that stuff. You go, yeah. into, you go into a store and buy a chicken that's, that, you know, got green stuff on it, you know, and you look at it and it smells, you take it back. So, you know, they was, you know. Uh, food, food that they wouldn't feed to a dog. Right, right. And, that they're and trying to feed to black people in black neighborhoods. And here again, we didn't have, like you said, my grandfather was a bricklayer, but he couldn't be called a bricklayer because the union was not accepting black people. This is right here in Cleveland. Right, right here in Cleveland. They, he couldn't be, he had to be called a bricklayer's helper, which means that they did all the work. And then the, the, the uh, union man, European, he would come by, let, make sure it level, and that was his job. But he was the bricklayer. He got the most money, and he did less work. So it was all kinds. And we saw these things on TV every day, being hosed down, our, our churches being bombed, Emmett Till, 
all these all these all this stuff was going on and they made sure that we saw this stuff on tv every day right. so the changes that 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 uh that we brought you know we right here right downtown cleveland you know woolworth we went down to woolworth one day after the uh football game uh the brown stadium man they would not service you know we couldn't we couldn't sit in the white section you know and, and this guy was so uh, mean and cantankerous that this guy who was making millions of dollars in the, uh, at the five and dime, he closed all his stores rather than integrate his lunch counter. And you know, the, the, the thing is, is that we still couldn't go to places right here in Cleveland, but we could go over on the west side. You know, we couldn't go into Garfield. We, when I was much younger, you couldn't even go to East Cleveland. You know, the police the police would put you right out of there. So what are you doing in here? So, you know, being, you know, and and, and my mother not only had her own business and, and worked with Howard, you know, she was she was a community activist. You know, yeah. she, she was uh, with the A. Philip Randolph uh, organization, who A. Philip Randolph uh, was, was the person that put the March on Washington together. Right. He, he, was, he was head of the uh, Pullman Porters Union, and they were going to strike. And then he went to the president and, and then he and, and, and he squashed it. The president said, okay, we give you all what you want. But when uh, Martin Luther King was time for him to set up that march, they had a Philip Randolph's march. And that was the march. That's what the plan that they used that. But right. the things that we, that, that we gained, we had the CEDAR program where, where they were teaching uh, uh, young blacks uh, drywall, hanging drywall, and uh, 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 plumbing and, you know, the skill trade. Right. And, and that's the whole thing. Like, you know, dreaming and activism go hand in hand because you have to dream and imagine a different world. You have to put in the work. But you also, you know, if you're a person who has accomplished your dream, you have a responsibility to try to, as much as you can, you know, obviously you're generally busy working, um, but you have to make some time to try to make that dream more accessible for other people. And so one of the things that we talked about in the conversation was, you know, you were saying that obviously in Cleveland, Kroger, y'all kicked Kroger out as a result of the Huff riots. Oh, Kroger, A&P. So growing up, there was, we didn't have Kroger, we didn't have A&P, we had Tops for a while. Now they have Dave's Market and they have Giant Eagle, which is, you know, out of Pittsburgh. So yeah, so the grocery the grocery stores all changed. Like I grew up without having any Kroger and never having experience getting rotten meat from a grocery store. And the other big thing you said was that you know you wanted to have recreation centers. So I grew up going to swimming pools um, in our in the black neighborhoods we were raised in Cleveland. So um, and e even in East Cleveland too. So because East Cleveland was um, I graduated from Shaw High School in East Cleveland, but East Cleveland was completely different when I was in high school versus how, how it was when you were in high school. So, you know, it's just, it's a lot of things that have changed. Um, you know, we got to be part of the, the dreams that you have for your children, as far as like never being, never having to worry about buying rotten meat in Kroger and never having to worry about, you know, being able to have segregated pools and not having to have um, no basketball course and no no things that you could actually do as a young person in a in a community trying to live. Well, we were uh, we come up here to Woodhill, and you know when the whites was in there swimming, you know you couldn't go in there. I mean, this stuff is like, and not only the rotten meats and stuff like this. Um, pick and pay in these stores, they got sued back in the '60s and '70s uh, after the riots because there was price fixing. Yeah, it was price fixing. In fact, they had to send out coupons. I think they had to send everybody in Cuyahoga County like a, a dollar or two or something like that to make up for the uh, price fixing that they uh, that they uh, perpetrated and maintained, you know, uh, so that we couldn't get a good deal or nothing like that. Couldn't get a good deal. You know, right. that, that, that's that's that's. That's one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm saying is that, you know, there's, there was so much done to us. Right. Now that, you know, I mean, there still is, though. That's the whole thing. It's like, it's like, but the, that's the thing. It's, it's constantly politics and activism that has to happen because it's like whack-a-mole. You know, you you hit a few problems and then they then other problems arise. Like right now, you know, of course, the problem in the Black community is 
all this gun violence and people shooting each other up um, in the and all and you know especially in your neighborhood where there's been quite a few you know just I don't know I know that I know a few years ago your your neighborhood was on the news because of a serial killer um, but this that was kind of a, a freak situation but beside that it's just like now they, they're, they're trying to get us to kill each other you know instead of them trying to feed us rotten meat and all this sort of thing like they've had us turn on each other and that's the thing for me i'm just like instead of being haters and dream killers and all this sort of thing and, and going according with their plan we have to figure out how to create our own dreams and survive despite you know, that comes from uh disparity um they figure there's no way out yeah that they haven't uh you know they 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 haven't come to the uh young people and say hey what do y'all want right i mean it's it's a lot of things it started with the education system when i was young they started you know the bushes started destroying the the, community, the education system they took away the trades because the trades were a way for people to have a way out well, people who may not have been reading on the grade level that they were supposed to be and all that sort of thing but let me tell you this that was all done by design yeah you see because see they still have the trades, but they haven't see they always talk to um for the white schools college prep right. yeah but you see you had so many uh black people that were making big uh salaries and stuff in the building trade so yeah. what the unions because see, these, these unions are, are are mostly run by white people yeah you, you know hey they run yeah. by white people. So and i they, mean and then even like but with see, capitalism, they haven't really wanted people to be a part of unions. So now unions are definitely making a comeback and definitely more black people are getting involved in leadership um, to advocate for what our needs are. And I think it's just been like, you know, you get in survival mode and people are killing each other because they think that's what they need to do to survive. But they haven't been shown other ways to survive on purpose, you know, but I think people are people are trying to figure it out. But obviously, a lot of a lot of the reason why it is hard to especially on a local level is you know local politics and corruption like i know in east cleveland like east cleveland looks like haiti because right. they have the level of corruption like haiti like yeah. it's, it's so terrible the police even the chief got indicted last week or a couple of weeks ago <laughs> so that's that's you know what we've what we battle now is people who are willing to sell us willing to sell us out for a few dollars to not make our communities better and then people who just don't don't see the vision and don't have imagination and don't have just really that kind of instruction of like i said you know i'm grateful that i came from a family of four generations of business owners but most people don't have that opportunity and they they grow up you know they grow up in in the projects or they grow up in you know communities where they just don't have a lot of access to even imagination of dreaming of something different well, you know, and, and that's, you know, uh, what they've done is, see, it's like the union heads, you know, that's why they was killing each other, Nardi and all them cats and, uh, you know, going through, they got so much power to us now. And they say, well, my son need a job. So you got all these white people, their son need a job, their daughter need a job, you know, and they come to you and say, who are you? But see, with the unions and stuff, what they've done with the, with the shop, is that they send them all out to the white school. They don't call it shop no more. Right. Construction tech. Right. So they're taking construction tech and they're teaching kids how to how to hire people, you know, along with you know, with, with setting up jobs, how to how to estimate a job, what the material cost is. You know, they took up that's why the steel mills are closed. Because you know, the steel mills are closed because they're getting cheaper, uh uh less expensive. Uh, steel from China. Now, right. it was Americans that J.P. Morgan them built the plant over there. Right. When I was at U.S. Steel, when I first came out of high school back in seventy, and the guy was saying, you know, you're talking about, oh, they're not going to do that. I was working at uh down on Lorraine Car Harbor Works, and uh, I said, man, they're not going to fix this up. You know, they, they didn't build this big old plant back over there. He said, he said, see, I'm gonna tell you what. You black guys making too much money. They see y'all driving up here in these Lincolns and these and these uh, uh, Buicks and all this stuff and these Cadillacs and all this. See, they don't like that. 
I mean, it was it was a combination of outsourcing the jobs and the unions and all types of stuff and the way the education has changed. Now, the biggest way that people have access to the trades is through Job Corps. I actually worked at Job Corps for a few years and it's a really great federal program that people, but most people have no idea. They don't, they've never heard of it. And it gets kind of a bad rap because people be like, oh, that's for bad kids. It's like, no, it's for people who, it's a way to rehab your life if you want to go learn a trade. So I definitely always encourage people, like young people that I meet, my patients, all types of people, I'll always encourage them to look into Job Corps as a way to learn a trade to be able to fight back against that. So it's that, you know, education piece and all the corruption that's going on, but it's also been the crack epidemic. You know, I was, I was born in 84. So I saw our neighborhoods completely change from, you know, what they were to just being like, like I said, like Haiti, like abandoned buildings everywhere, nothing. So that's the whole thing. Like they've done so much to destroy our communities through corruption, through drugs, through guns, all this sort of thing. Did the black people bring the crack in? No, black people do not bring it in. I know, I know. I'm just saying, like, okay. that's the whole thing. Everything has, you know, I know that part of a lot of these issues are systemic racism and oh. and strategic, strategically destroying our communities. But it's one of those things of part of the solution for everything forever is having dreams and imagination and that it can be different because if you can have a dream and imagination that things can be different, then you can organize and have activism toward be- things being different. But part of like the problem right now is that everybody's so depressed and anxious and PTSD, like mental health. Like I say, a lot of these young people are out here shooting each other up, partly because they're depressed. You know, right. part of depression is you can be suicidal, but you can also be homicidal. And you can also be very jealous of other people and very, very much a hater of like, no, this person, because that's what a lot of them are killing each other because they're like, well, this person has that and I don't like it. Right. And it's just like, you know, at what point do we teach, you know, like we need to make our communities better, but we also need to help other people, like a lot of young people understand, like when you're feeling that way, you probably need to go to therapy. You might need to get on medicine, all these sort of things, because you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be upset by somebody else's happiness, you know? Well, you know, and, and I'm just saying so many things. Uh, and, you know, when you look at, at the world, what it is, you know, it, my thing is like, look, I was talking to somebody and I said, this is 2022. Why are we still fighting wars? Right. <laughs> I mean, we, we've been fighting wars since, since the beginning of time. Why? Uh, I mean, we haven't figured this out. Another way to do things besides killing people. I mean, have you seen? Have Have you seen the uh, the Ukraine? Yeah, the Ukraine Russia situation has been really crazy this whole Man, year. Like, seen, it's been what six months now? It's been six months. Have you seen the land? Even when they was in uh, Iran and Tehran and all of them over there, they doing stuff, and they, they, they like they bombing all the buildings and and everything is really. You know, just all torn up, and you're saying, "Why are they doing this?" Right. People don't what's have the point to, of it all. People don't have to. What's? I mean, you can't sit at the table and say, "All right, y'all, let's figure this out." You know, right. you bomb. You got to bomb. You this. Why? Why don't we figure out? You know right. how to how to feed everybody. You know how how you know we can take care of medicine for people and stuff instead of doing all this war and stuff. We, we right. I mean, that's the whole thing. In life, there's kind of like two people. There's people who are interested in in being cooperative and community-based and trying to uplift everybody together. And then there's people who are interested in taking it all and greed and power and, you know, money and all this sort of thing. So, I mean, that's just part of human nature, even, even in even with wolves and all that sort of thing, even when you look at any kind of animals, it's always going to be animals that can be collaborative and help each other. And it's going to be other ones that want to fight all the time. But I think that as humans, we have the brain power to work, to rise above those, you know, animalistic instincts. And, but I think that a lot of it really starts with the leadership. You know, we have had a lot of problems with leadership in this country. Um, And I think that, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take for our world to figure out like how to to stop all of this but the thing about the thing about the earth is it's going to get rid of some people you know <laughs> I'm sorry. 
it's like, <laughs> you know, I don't know at what point it's going to be a reset, but everybody's, you know, saying this right now with the pandemic and with global, the climate change and all types of stuff going on and the nukes and all this sort of thing. People it's a lot happening. People trying to build a suburb on the moon and stuff. Right. So Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. So it's right. definitely an interesting time. And um, Shauna and I had a conversation about like how we just, we don't know where it's all going. We're just eating our popcorn. But in the meantime, I'm still doing the work. You know, I'm still dreaming. I'm still doing the work to help people cope with all of this, with my coping skills course and and with my patients. That's what I do in my office all day is help people cope with all of this stuff going on. Um, so I think that that's, you know, what we have to do is is try to try to imagine a different world and try to keep coping with all of the things that happen right now and try to keep with activism to dream of a different world and put in the work in action to make a different world too. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yep. All right. Daughter. What are you gonna say? I'm glad you're my daughter. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you're my dad. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to leave this conversation. We covered a lot, um, but you know, I just want people to keep to keep dreaming as coping and to keep to keep moving and keep you know trying to do the best you can to to make the world a better place and to make your life better and your mental health better. Um, so thank you all for joining us. I hope that you have a great self-love Saturday. And remember always that loving yourself is an act of rebellion. Self-love Saturday, help live with love. Self-love Saturday, break the cycles, we rebels. Self-love Saturday, help live with love. Self-love Saturday, break the cycles, we rebels.